Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. It has, by any measure, been an extraordinary few days in Westminster. You know, the last thing I would want to do would be to cause a by-election in my constituency. Nadine Dorries is standing down as a Conservative MP with immediate effect. Something significant did happen to change my mind. Boris Johnson is going to stand down. He's quitting as an MP. The Times says that the Commons Privileges Committee has concluded that Mr Johnson did mislead Parliament. A scathing attack on those investigating him over Partygate. He labelled the committee a kangaroo court and claimed he was a victim of a witch hunt. And now we have a third, Nigel Adams. This is beginning to look like a coordinated uh, campaign uh, of uh, resignations. Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because I didn't think it was right. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Boris Johnson resigns. Now what? I'm Lara Spirit and I am The Times' Red Box reporter. And Lara... On Friday evening, Westminster was shocked. Boris Johnson resigns. That resignation is now being linked to two big political stories. The investigation by the Privileges Committee into the Partygate scandal and also his honours list. So let's start with that. Let's start with the honours list. Take me back to Thursday night. This is the start of days of psychodrama for the Tory party. One of our colleagues, Steve Swinford, political editor of The Times, made a phone call. So Steve, our colleague, uh, gives Nadine Dorries, the former culture secretary, uh, and one of these names that had been on Boris Johnson's original honours list. She'd been nominated for a peerage. She's a close ally of the former prime minister. He gives her a call because he's learned that she's not on the honours list after all. And this is the first that Nadine Dorries has heard of this because up until this point, she had been assured that actually she'd be able to get this peerage. She says that she was totally stunned. She said, I thought that this was a mischief making from within number 10 in the last few minutes, that it was someone trying to cause trouble with a story that would discredit me. I spoke to Boris, she said. He was in Egypt. He said, it's absolute bollocks. Wow. It's not true. He said, I've had assurances from Sunak. He wouldn't lie to me. Now, just remind us firstly of, of what, what a, a resignation honours list is and, and why you know this one had been so 
controversial. So as is convention, when a prime minister leaves Downing Street, they are able to nominate those who they think have served public life, uh, some of their closer allies, those that they've worked hard with for honours, and those can include peerages and knighthoods and other awards. And usually they're quite controversial. But I think Boris Johnson's, it's fair to say, has been the most controversial that we've had so far, partly, I think, because of the nature of his exit, partly because of the attention that has been given to his relationship with the current prime minister, Rishi Sunak, and the tensions that continue to exist between them. But since its inception, and since the reporting that we've done on it has been controversial, firstly, because of its size. So it was first expected to run to about 100 names. That was then cut considerably in in size after the cabinet office instructed that that would take place but also because of some of the names that were in that. So in November, I wrote a story about the peerage nominations, those people that had been in that. I revealed that there were four sitting MPs who were on that list. Now, that's unprecedented for a sitting MP to be given a peerage while they are currently still in the House of Commons. You can't be a member of both houses simultaneously. But also, uh, you know, some loyal party donors were on that list, some other aides, including two young aides who will be the uh, youngest uh, sitting life peers in history now that they are elevated to the House of Lords uh, as of last week. And then since then, there has been just a large amount of controversy and a lot of reporting about whether or not that list would get through. And there's been quite a lot of pressure that's been put on Rishi Sunak to block some of the more controversial appointments I revealed uh, in March that Boris Johnson nominated his father, Stanley Johnson, for a knighthood. That was Mm. one of those nominations that received, I think it's fair to say, a lot of scrutiny and criticism. And there was pressure placed on both parties for that nomination not to go through. And then as we neared the resignation honours list being published, most of the tension that existed between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson around this honours list was about whether or not these three MPs, Nigel Adams, Alok Sharma and Nadine Dorries would be able to remain in Parliament and not trigger by-elections, but still be on that honours list. And one of the reasons why Boris was so outraged is because he believes that he had this meeting with Rishi Sunak. He believes that in that meeting there was a kind of gentleman's agreement, the outcome of which would be, no, these honours would be passed, these MPs would be able to go to the House of Lords, and that he was furious because he felt that Rishi Sunak hadn't come good on that agreement. Now, talk me through this meeting, because this is sort of the crux of a lot of this dispute between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson at the moment. And this is a a meeting that takes place on Friday, the 2nd of June. And it's a secret meeting with Rishi Sunak. And there is a note taker present, we know. (laughs) What happened at this meeting? And what do we know about what took place? What's the official version? What did the note taker make of it? Downing Street say that Sunak made clear he didn't want to discuss peerages, but that when he was pressed, he signalled he'd put through the list that was sent to him by Holak. And this is the House of Lords. The House of Lords Appointment Commission. Commission who vet this. Now, the big question is whether or not those names were on the list that went to Holak and whether or not Holak were the body that removed these or not. Now, I think much of the tension in this that hasn't been made perhaps extremely clear is that when Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak both talk about following precedent and following convention, mm. both of them could be correct in their interpretation of that. Because when Boris Johnson says that following precedent is passing my honours list in full, That is partly true. You know, people don't usually have never obstructed the resignations honours list of their predecessors. Then again, it's precedent for Rishi Sunak to say that you should pass the nominations that Holak approves. And indeed, the non-precedent for that exists in Boris Johnson's decision to overrule Holak when he appointed Peter Crowder as a life peer in 2020. So it's... It's really interesting, I think, because both of them obviously have quite uh, are using these, this language of precedent and convention, and actually both of them, in a sense, could be right. But 
in the midst of all of this, there is just a huge amount of controversy about the substance of what was agreed in this meeting. Now, Sunak clearly didn't want to have this conversation around peerages and Boris Johnson very clearly pushed it. Mm. Um, And I think it's fair to say from the reading of this that both men could have left that meeting with a very different understanding of what they'd actually agreed. Which is which is bizarre. Clearly, there was something going on with the use of language in that meeting. But what was Boris Johnson's interpretation? Walking away, what did he think he had definitely achieved? So he texted Nadine Dorries upon leaving this meeting, saying that it was completely fine, that she would be on the list, that it would be published imminently. So he was very clearly under the understanding that this meeting had gone well and that Sunak had given him these assurances. But you know, Sunak's understood to have said he wouldn't make any promises uh, and said, apparently, I don't want you to leave this room thinking I've made a promise to you because I don't want to fall out with you down the line over it. I mean, that's that's very clear if that's what was said. And a source close to Sunak then said, the Prime Minister made it clear to Johnson that he would follow the process and precedent for approved peers and would not be involved any further. Now, I've obviously just spoken to the tensions inherent in the words process and precedent for both (laughs) men. Uh, And I think in that you can probably start to see some of the dividing lines as to why this then became such a massive issue and a massive, clearly, misunderstanding between the two men. And Rishi Sunak has talked about that now. What's his line on it? So he was asked about this at the London Tech Week conference and he said... Boris Johnson asked me to do something that I wasn't prepared to do because, because I, didn't I didn't think, think it was right. Uh, that was to uh, you know, either overrule the HOLAC committee or to make promises with people. Now, I, I wasn't prepared to do that. As I said, I didn't think it was right. And if people don't like that, then tough. I, um, when I got this job... <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I got this job, I said I was going to do things differently because I wanted to change politics. And that's what I'm doing. Strong words. Strong words. We've just had a response from Boris Johnson, who has accused Rishi Sunak of talking rubbish. Mr Sunak said the former Prime Minister had asked him to override the recommendation. Mr Johnson says he'd only needed to ask the panel to review its vettings. So it's two very different interpretations of, of that. So clearly for the people who haven't made that final list... You know, when it's published, Nadine Doris has been warned the night before in a phone call from the Times, didn't believe it, was furious. Friday morning, she seems to imply that there will be no by-election in her constituency. She will not be triggering it. I don't know if she still thought she was going into the Lords and it was going to be deferred or whether she was just, you know, she was saying she was there for the foreseeable future. And yet, later that day, she resigns. What happened? So I think even on Thursday evening upon hearing from Steve that she wasn't going to be on the list, there was still this insistence and this feeling among Camp Boris that this could and would be sorted, that actually it just couldn't be this bad. They couldn't have actually really taken these individuals off the list. And this really has been one of Boris's abiding goals upon leaving office is to get his resignation on his list through and to get it through in full. Mm. Now, throughout the course of the day, uh, Nadine Dory is obviously increasingly concerned about what had led to this decision, eventually decides that actually having wanted to stave off by-elections, this feeling among Team Sunak that they did not want these MPs to be leaving Parliament, they didn't want to have to fight these by-elections, which, you know, current polling shows Labour well ahead, you know, I think very difficult for the Conservatives to go into by-elections in this current political context. Nadine Dory is, I think, furious at the idea that there's been this overcalculating in number 10 to avoid that at her own political expense, essentially, and just says, I'm going to resign anyway and I'm going to trigger a by-election. Keir Starmer's the winner in all this. 
You forcing him, you handing him a by-election, which they will now probably gang up with the Lib Dems to win. Yeah. How does that help your party? My party isn't helping itself. No, but why are you knifing the party? I'm not knifing the party. In a way, you I, are. No, Piers, I, I think you come to a point in life when you, ha- when you have to stop, when you can't just be pushed around, when you can't allow people to bully you, mm. as I've just been bullied by number 10, you can't allow that to happen. You have to stand up for yourself. And that's what I did. I t- it's a painful decision. I did not want to cause a by-election. I loved so she leaves, obviously, Boris Johnson follows pretty shortly after. So that's the honours list. That explains Nadine Doris's resignation. But as you say, the resignation later that day, which came as a real shock, of Boris Johnson, you know, that seems to have a few causes. There's the honours list, but there's also the other problem he was facing, which is a Privileges Committee investigation into whether he had lied to Parliament over the Partygate scandal. Now, we haven't seen that final report yet. We will see it by the end of this week. Just give us a sense of what have we learnt already about what's in it? What triggered that sort of a response from him? So we know that when Boris Johnson was on a plane to Egypt on Thursday, he had an email, it was a letter emailed to him from Harriet Harman, who is chairing that Privileges Committee investigation into him, saying that he'd been suspended for far in excess of 10 days. And 10 days is the threshold for triggering a recall ballot in his seat of Uxbridge and almost certainly a by-election. So that's the sanction he would have faced. Ten days suspension, which would have meant a recall ballot. He could have lost his seat over it. Yeah, and his immediate reaction was to, to swear, so I won't read that out for podcastlessness. Uh, go, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> his region, he said upon being told that the government wouldn't whip Tory MPs to vote against the sanction was, I'm fucked. So that's that's effectively the party pulling its support from him, saying every MP can choose whether they want to back him on this or not. So the crucial thing is that you have the report and then you have parliament voting on whether or not to approve its findings and team boris i think had long hoped that the conservative party would be voting in his favor with what it found and upon learning that i think it became very clear that his political future was pretty imperiled frankly so he realizes he's in real danger he doesn't want to take on the challenge he could have done that he could have gone to parliament he could have put forward his case he could have tried to win enough support to stop that that sanction being placed. He didn't do any of that. Instead, he just quits. So there's this blistering resignation statement, which is just so eyebrow-raising. It's kind of unlike anything I've seen. He says there's a witch hunt underway to take revenge for Brexit and ultimately to reverse the 2016 referendum results. So he is linking this so-called kangaroo court. He thinks that Harriet Harman had already prejudged the outcome of this. He says, they have still not produced a shred of evidence that I knowingly or recklessly misled the Commons. Separately, he said, I did not lie and I believe that in their hearts the committee know it. But they have willfully chosen to ignore the truth because from the outset their purpose has not been to discover the truth or genuinely to understand what was in my mind when I spoke in the Commons. Their purpose from the beginning has been to find me guilty regardless of the facts. This is the very definition of a kangaroo court. So those are the statements that he gives separately during this part. But I think they are the highlights for me of a resignation letter that really is, I think, pretty indignant for him. He says, I'm now being forced out of Parliament by a tiny handful of people with no evidence to back up their assertions and without the approval even of a Conservative Party members, let alone the wider electorate. I believe that a dangerous and unsettling precedent is being set. Now, that is a, you know, it is a, a very strong resignation letter. You very rarely see anything like that. Normally they're much more sort of gracious. 
Why do you think he's so angry? You know, all the accusations of a kangaroo court, the directly calling out Harriet Harman, who he had approved earlier when he knew that she would be running this this select committee investigation. And, you know, we should say this is a committee that has a majority of Tory MPs yeah. who would have voted for this outcome. We'll find out more about their report in the next day or two. But what went wrong? Was he expecting a different outcome? So throughout this process and in the last few months, we had been expecting that he wouldn't be suspended for more than the 10 days. So there had been this expectation that actually it wasn't going to be in people's interest to have this recall petition, to have this possible by-election and that people were looking for some sort of solution that would see him maybe slapped on the wrist, but Mm. would definitely not see his political future damaged in such a fundamental and probably irrevocable way. But breaking news we're getting involving the uh, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson and uh, it's reported that he's been referred to police by the Cabinet Office over new claims that he broke COVID lockdown rules. This this seems to have come about because the government is paying for lawyers to represent Boris Johnson at the forthcoming COVID inquiry. Boris Johnson has given those lawyers his diaries at the time to go through uh, to help with his case. Those lawyers seem to have found a number of entries that they're concerned about. And the Cabinet Office, as a matter of course, have then been obliged to pass those on to the police. This information that was handed to the police by his lawyers came along, suggesting there may have been rule-breaking, not just in the Downing Street flat during COVID, but also in checkers. And apparently that was a decisive influence on the committee, who then took a much harsher view, which is why the 20-day suspension is what we'll be seeing. So he is furious that I think having been led to expect actually the end outcome might not be so politically perilous for him, to have learned that actually it would be far in excess of what he and others had been expecting, I think must have come as a shock and certainly one that made him very angry indeed. Coming up, what the fallout might mean for Rishi Sunak. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
So, Lara, Boris Johnson, in, in that blistering letter, was very critical of Rishi Sunak, quite clearly. He did undermine him. Will there be questions asked now? You know, you, you mentioned how Rishi Sunak has been trying to appease the Boris Johnson faction of the party. And one move was by greenlighting the rest of that honours list. Now that feels like a wasted gesture. You know, was he wrong to have allowed that honours list to go through when he did, rather than waiting for the Privileges Committee to see whether the Prime Minister who issued the honours list, was still going to be in Parliament. Well, I think you're right to highlight the chronology of those events because we had originally thought that we weren't going to get the resignation honours list until after the Privileges Committee. Now, very clearly, that would have created a whole load of other issues if that chronology had been followed. You're right. But I do think it's not that Boris Johnson will be looking at Rishi Sunak having greenlit those that did go through with any gratitude. I think he really did expect and felt entitled to have his full list published in full. It hasn't really appeased anyone. I mean, certainly reading Boris Johnson's resignation statement and certainly, uh, you know, reading his comments in The Times, you would not think that he is happy. And I'm not necessarily sure what it is that Rishi Sunak can now do to appease that wing of the party. There are Johnson loyalists who are absolutely furious with the way that he's been treated. There are others who feel they owe their political careers to him, Uh, you know, that he is at the heart of why the Conservative Party won that 2019 majority. But I think you speak to most of them and that appeal that Boris Johnson makes, that sense that he believes he's that core election winner, he's the reason why Rishi Sunak feels he has a mandate and that that's a misguided assumption for them to make. A lot of Tory MPs would recognise they could hold these things as true, right? They could think Boris Johnson might have won us the election, but subsequently he's become an electoral liability. And I think that's where a lot of those that you speak to are currently who really just want this whole psychodrama to go away. And then on Saturday, as political journalists are still reeling from the day before... (laughs) There's a third resignation. Nigel Adams, who was also supposed to be on that list, goes. And there seemed to be a moment where everyone thought, what is this the start of? Is this a coordinated campaign? What's happening? What were you thinking on Saturday when you heard that come through? Well, political journalists at the time were being told we're at the precipice of a number of resignations that will follow and that you won't just be seeing three, you'll be seeing a coordinated batch of Boris loyalists who will follow and cause the maximum possible political headache for Rishi Sunak in their departure. And there was a sense with Nigel Adams' departure, not just that he had gone, but also that he, like Nadine Dorries, had originally said upon rumours that he might, that they weren't true, that he would stay then decided, announced in LinkedIn, I have left Parliament to return to my private sector career, but I'll continue to make the case for Conservative values. It's essential that the Conservatives under Rishi Sunak win the next election. I'll do my utmost to ensure that happens. Now, that might seem like a conciliatory statement, but it is obviously coordinated to... The timing isn't great, is it? The timing isn't great. But that said, those subsequent mooted resignations after Nigel Adams never materialised, and we are just left with three. Those resignations haven't come in. Do we know that they definitely won't in the next few weeks or months? I mean, do we feel like that campaign, the coordinated campaign by Boris supporters inside the Conservative Party in Parliament, has that gone away or is it still bubbling away under the surface? So I think we can tentatively say that's probably the last of the resignations that we might see. We don't know that, but we know that the whips were frantically calling around at the weekend. And we also know that of those that had originally been suggested as possible departures alongside those three, people like Nadim Zahawi, the former chancellor, Mm. did make publicly clear that that wouldn't be the case, that they wouldn't be following. So it's too soon to say that nobody else will go. But I do think that you know, as we speak, it's definitely more likely that they won't than it was when we saw Nigel Adams depart on Saturday. And the more immediate problem 
for Rishi Sunak right now will be these three by-elections that we're expecting. What are the Tories' chances of winning each of these three seats back? So we're expecting these by-elections probably to be around July the 13th, but we'll hear about that soon. These three seats are all interesting because they're quite different seats. So Mm. Uxbridge, which of course is Boris Johnson's seat, has a majority of just 7,000. Now I think you would expect Labour to win here in a by-election unless anything goes majorly wrong. I don't really think that people in number 10 would be expecting that Uxbridge will be won by the Conservative Party. Selby and Ainsley, which is Nigel Adams's seat, has a majority, a much higher majority of 20,000, and Nadine Dorries' seat in Mid-Bedfordshire has an even higher majority of 24,000. Now, that said, both of those seats are losable. You have a very... Really? I both mean, of those seats those are, are huge majorities. Those are huge majorities, and both are traditional Conservative seats. They are safe seats. But in the current political climate, if the polls are to believed, then it will be hard for the Conservatives in some ways to hold on to those. So they really are on a knife edge. And I think they are kind of the worst kind of majority that you could have in a by-election because they are big majorities, but they are also losable. And if Rishi Sunak doesn't keep those seats, then it will be seen as a sign of lack of Tory support and it will be seen as a sign of a lack of Tory recovery under Rishi Sunak since, you know, the massive political fallout 11 months ago when Boris Johnson left Downing Street and subsequently during the premiership of Liz Truss and the end of that, it will be seen as perhaps is Rishi Sunak delivering? Are his people really buying that he's working hard on his five priorities and these are traditionally conservative seats so are his base turning away from him? So I think if he doesn't win in those, there'll be questions. Then again, it is absolutely not certain that he will lose in those either and these are going to be fascinating contests because they will be really, really toughly fought. And what are the chances, do we think, of Boris Johnson running again? Do we think he'll run for any seat? Because there were, there were rumours at one moment that perhaps he was going to get Nadine Doris's seat, but that seems unlikely now. Yeah, there were definitely rumours about this, but apparently Johnson and Nadine Doris did have a conversation on Thursday about whether he should try and stand in her seat. And she'd said to him, don't put yourself through it. And Boris Johnson had replied, fucking hell, I won't. <laughs> and I sort of do believe that. I think it's unlikely that Boris Johnson would necessarily want that. Although in his statement, he did say he was gone for now. But I think that is quite similar to when he stood up in his final parliamentary sharing and said, hasta la vista, baby, if you remember that. There is that sense of Boris Johnson that he likes to leave the door ajar, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to he wants to jump headfirst back through it immediately. And I think in the case of that seat that Nadine Dorries is departing, it's not a surefire win for the Conservatives in a by-election anyway. And you would need the approval of you know CCHQ and Number 10 to get into that. I think it would be pretty vanishingly unlikely to see him make a bid for that. That said, will he be gone from frontline politics forever? That's a very different question. And just how damaging has all of this been for Rishi Sunak? Because, as you say, people will question his judgment in releasing this honours list and sort of giving it the green light. At the same time, you know, people will question his political judgment and his ability to have read that situation well. How bad is this for him, you know, given that we do have an election in 18 months' time? I think the storm that we saw on Friday is probably one of those storms that is less damaging in the wider electorate than it is within the Conservative Party. And I think one of the core things for Rishi Sunak since he became Prime Minister, you know, he has this team of people who work really hard to run parliamentary outreach. He's been really keen to get MPs into Number 10 to talk to him about their issues. I think he's pretty sensitive to the fact that he doesn't have the kind of mandate that Boris Johnson had via a general election victory, that he didn't win with the members against Liz Truss. And so he's very sensitive to how fragile that could be. The wider electorate, I'm sure, are very alive to the fact that 
conservative divisions probably aren't edifying for them to see about. It probably does reinforce what is already a very, very strong polling lead for Labour that we've seen. But that double-digit polling lead that we've seen from Labour has been uh, happening for a very, very long time. And I don't think that Rishi Sunak and his team will think that there's going to be an even greater damage in the polls necessarily from this. But I do think it is one of those things that MPs particularly are more concerned about often than, than others. At the same time, you know, this has been a terrible week for the Tory party. You know, we've also over the weekend seen the the arrest of Nicola Sturgeon, although she was released without charge. If you were Keir Starmer, do you think you'd be feeling more optimistic? Well, you'll remember that on Friday, the beginning of the day started with, in Redbox, obviously where I work, <laughs> Rachel Reeves, the shadow chancellor, announcing that slight watering down of the party's commitment towards its green energy plan, that 28 billion green prosperity plan, that it wouldn't happen at the beginning of a, of a future Labour government, it happened towards the end of that first parliament of government, should they get in. Now, obviously, any and all infighting within the Labour Party over that issue was just soon overtaken by what was happening in the Conservative Party, which really dominated the news on that day. So it's fair to say that it is a good time to be Keir Starmer when stuff like that happens and perfectly timed in some ways for Labour on Friday. But of course, yeah, signalling, like you say, that bigger question of Keir Starmer well, well ahead in the polls is pushing forward with announcing his missions and, you know, his programme for a future Labour government would look like, but will certainly be buoyed by what is happening north of the border in Scotland and, and also in Westminster with the current government too. And in his letter, Boris Johnson did say he was leaving politics for now. If you're a betting person, will he be back? I have to say in holding office, I don't think so. It's not necessarily clear that he wants to jump back in immediately to electoral politics. But that is very different from making his views known on lots of things, many of which and many of those interventions of which do have the potential to damage Sunak and to worry number 10 from the sidelines. What happens to him now? Well, we've got his memoir that will be that will be coming. That will be rich with so many blockbuster worthy details. That resignation letter was a bit of a curtain raiser for that. <laughs> As anyone who looks at his MP's interest declarations, you know, he is making very handsome sums uh, outside of Parliament in outside earnings, more than five million since he left Downing Street. So I'm sure he'll continue to do that. And he's about to have another child as well. So he has got a lot going on outside of politics anyway. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times Red Box reporter, Lara Spirit. For more of the news, insight and gossip that has Westminster talking, Times subscribers can sign up for the free Red Box morning email. And don't miss Matt Chorley's show, Politics Without the Boring Bits, every Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm on Times Radio. The producers today were James Shield, Priyanka Deladia and Max Kendix. The executive producer is Kate Ford. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>